0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting to hold politicians accountable for better health care. Find out more at carp.ca.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Komsic for Libby's Nimer. The election of a new speaker for the House of Commons does not end the call for the lifting of the veil of secrecy in the wake of the Yaroslav-Hunka incident.
2: I have yet to hear Mr. Trudeau or anyone else say this unit was, was a bunch of criminals. This person should have never gotten into Canada in the first place. And we are going to act immediately
1: to remove this person. War crimes investigator Steve Rumbum joins Libby amid renewed calls for making Holocaust records public. And when an obit notice is welcomed by family.
3: I am pleased to announce the passing of Stefan Harold Kindalski at the age of 74. After suffering multiple strokes, one thankfully leaving him unable to speak, The abusive, narcissistic, absentee father, husband, brother, son finally kicked the bucket.
1: More with a deceased's daughter later on. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. More than a million people in the UK over 50 are forced out of work as they approach retirement. New research finds they're leaving due to redundancy, illness, or being pushed into early retirement by their employer. Overall, nearly 1 in 10, between 50 and 66 are out of work involuntarily this year. The International Longevity Center think tank says that's up over a million since the same study was done back in 2014. It finds the demographic change will drive a 2.6 million shortfall of paid workers by 2030 in almost every sector facing skills shortages. The retirement age in Britain is 66, but will soon rise to 67. New report finds six in 10 American boomers and seniors are highly interested in using digital health care platforms, citing easy convenience in the form of payments, managing prescriptions and access to insurers, but when it comes to artificial intelligence, the outlook is much different. Boomers are more hesitant about AI than other generations, whether due to lack of familiarity or trust in the technology. In fact, only one-third of older consumers are at least somewhat interested in AI involvement in health care. A legal fight between a senior and an American pop star has inspired national legislation to protect elderly homeowners. The 84-year-old founder of 1-800-Flowers is trying to stop the sale of his Santa Barbara mansion to singer Katy Perry. Carl Westcott argues he could not consent to the sale as he was suffering from mental decline and had been taking prescription opiates just days after a major surgery when he sold the home. Westcott's family helped spearhead the Protecting Elder Realty for Retirement Years Act or the Katy Perry Act. It has supporters from both parties in state and local legislatures across the country who will soon be introducing versions of the bill. The U.S. Postal Service has released a stamp honoring the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The Forever stamp that features the judge in her trademark white lace collar commemorates the legacy of her groundbreaking contributions to justice, gender equality, and the rule of law. Ginsburg died of pancreatic cancer in 2020 at the age of 87. Talk about cruising into retirement. An older Australian couple has spent nearly. 500 days at sea on a cruise ship, claiming it's cheaper than paying for a retirement home. They set sail last June and have booked 51 back-to-back trips. The great-grandparents have stayed on board Princess Cruises' 2,000-passenger Coral Princess longer than most of the crew, including the captains, and they plan to stay on board for two years The couple enjoyed cruises for decades prior to making it their full-time living arrangement. A 104-year-old woman may just be the oldest person to ever skydive. Dorothy Hoffner of Chicago hoping for that certification soon after she recently parked her walker and made the historic tandem jump in front of a cheering crowd dive lasted seven minutes including her parachutes slow descent to the ground the guinness world record for oldest skydiver was set last year by a 103 year old swedish woman hofner says when she turns 105 she may take a hot air balloon ride i'm bob komczyk and those are your zoomer headlines from around the world If Argentina was always known as the haven for Nazis, then Canada's the unknown one. Canadians got a reminder that many fled to this country when 98-year-old Yaroslav Hunka was recognized in Parliament during the recent visit of Ukraine's president. Among the many who've known for decades that ex-Nazis found safe harbor here is Steve Rumbum, a war crimes investigator who joined Libby's Nimer.
4: Was it that you in the United States, uh, you were the first person to figure out who uh, this former member of the Waffen-SS uh, Galizier unit, uh, who was honored in our House of Commons, was?
2: It, it wasn't so much that I figured out who he was, but the minute that I was told the name of the division that he belonged to, I knew that somebody had made a rather substantial mistake. And, and I have to tell you, a lot of people uh, understood that rather quickly.
4: What was this unit and what did they do?
2: This was an actual bona fide uh, SS unit, sizable SS unit that was used as a normal SS unit. Uh, I will tell you one of the things that they did that they're well known for is burning alive 1,000 Polish civilians, substantially Jews, on just one occasion. I mean, they were, they were pretty monstrous people.
4: As someone on our end pointed out that, generally speaking, when people with military backgrounds are introduced in our parliament, the unit is cited. And in this case, it wasn't. The Speaker of the House just got up and said he's a Ukrainian hero and a Canadian hero
2: certainly there were plenty of people within arms reach who knew what this unit was. And I quite agree with you. I don't think it's an accident that this unit wasn't mentioned. I'm, I'm more concerned with what happened afterward. However, um, you know, people can make mistakes. Although this, this was a doozy. This was a big one. I have not yet heard anybody in, in power in Canada say this person should have never gotten into Canada in the first place, and we are going to act immediately to remove this person and anyone else who is in this unit or is suspected of of being involved in atrocities during World War II against civilians. Now, this is something that Canada has not said for for 75 years. Maybe this is a good time to start.
4: It's interesting. Our new Minister of Immigration has cited the fact that Canada's history with letting in Nazis is shameful. And um, he's gone through a commission that was held back in 1985, uh, which many people, the Duchesne Commission, which many people I uh, think was a whitewash which concluded that uh, these guys these people went into this particular unit because they were anti-communist not necessarily because they were nazis
2: and none of these people not one first of all you need to know they were all volunteers nobody was drafted into the into the 14th grenadiers into the galician division nobody not one not a single person So they were all volunteers, and nobody, when they started murdering old people and children and burning civilians alive, not a single one of them said, you know, I quit. Not a single one. As far as the shame commission goes, and what Canada knew and what Canada didn't know, let me tell you that, uh, as you may or may not know, I did um, war crimes investigations in Canada. I I identified Nazi war criminals in Canada. I went, I interviewed them undercover, and I built criminal cases against a number of them. We also developed informants in the war criminal community. And I can tell you that there is not a single person that I found that was not already known to the Canadian government and was not already known to the Jewish community specifically the Canadian Jewish Congress. I I, I will tell you the first person that I found was someone who was the commander of a unit that killed 5,000 Jews in six days, including 1,000 children, small children. And I thought I had really accomplished something when I found this guy and I talked my way into his house and wearing a recorder and a transmitter, I had a team outside doing my security. When he detailed... The murder of of these Jews, how it was done, and they were brought to a ditch and shot. And first the men, and then the women and the children. I thought I had really accomplished something. And when I when I went public, and I turned over my documents, not just to the Canadian Department of Justice and the RCMP, but also to the Canadian Jewish Congress, um, the gentleman who was my liaison in the CJC. Um, the next day when I was in their their offices, handed me a letter that they had from 1947. 1947. This was in 1997 when I was meeting with them, 50 years later. This 1947 letter listed this war criminal's name, Antonos Kinstavitius, listed what he did, and even correctly placed him in British Columbia near Vancouver which is where I found him 50 years later, in Hope, British Columbia. So let me tell you, all of these people are known. All.
4: This uh, unit was led into Canada en masse. How did that happen? Well, they
2: all were. They all were in the DP camps together. Um, for example, when I was going after the Arise Commando, the Lith- Lithuanian murder unit, that, that was so good at killing Jews in Lithuania, that when there were no Jews left in Lithuania, 96% of the Jews in Lithuania were killed. Um, they were taken as a unit to Bielorussia to do a great job on the Jews in Bielorussia. Um, when I was investigating them, they came 50 at a time on ships like the Sarnia that docked in Halifax. They came 50 at a time with their families directly from the DP camps. They got on the ships. They sailed directly to Halifax. They got off the Halifax. Off in Halifax, they settled together. They lived within within walking distance of each other's homes. They formed summer camps for their kids so their kids could be indoctrinated. I mean, this is not just uh, the Ukrainians. This is the Latvians, the Lithuanians, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
4: The minister of immigration said that uh, perhaps all the records relating to this should be opened up. Is this some kind of uh, teachable moment for Canada?
2: Let me tell you, the Minister of Immigration, if in fact he said, gee, let's let's open these records. First of all, I have to tell you, I think he's a big fat liar. I think he has no intention of doing that. And and you should revisit this in 60 days and see what has happened. Uh, I, I think you'll find that that uh, that I'm correct. Second of all, uh, the Duchesne Commission should have been a very public commission with all its records and all its findings released when it was held 30 years ago. The Duchesne, the, the, the Minister of Immigration saying, gee, 30 30- years years later we should release these records is like the polish minister who is now saying we're going to ask for hunkers uh, extradition i mean it took them 70 years to realize that hunker was in uh, was in canada i mean for god's sake he had a website there yeah. was, a, there was a, a a scholarship in his name he posted pictures of himself in ss uniform on the internet I, I mean what what kind of of investigators and intelligence agents do they have either in Canada or in Poland that nobody realized, oh, he's that hunka. He posted pictures of himself in SS uniform let's 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 not be such such foolishly credible uh, credulous people. Um, you know, this is all garbage and 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 it's being... And it's being spewed because everybody knows that that two weeks from now, nobody will even be talking about this. And this guy will be another alleged criminal who, who, who is going to go to his grave laughing at all the
4: idiots. OK, well, you hopefully
2: so rude. But but it's really true.
4: Let us hope uh, that you are wrong on that note. Steve Rumbum, thank you so much for that.
1: Thank you. War crimes investigator, Steve Rumbum. I'm Bob Kopsik, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, one Sudbury area woman's, oh my, obit for her father.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, bringing you vital information to boost your health, your finances, and your rights. Find out more at carp.ca.
1: Losing a loved one is hard and putting what they meant to you in words can also be difficult, but for some it's actually easy. Take the case of Amanda Dennis who lives just outside Sudbury and lost her father. Saying she believes the dead have a responsibility to the living, Amanda came up with this.
3: I am pleased to announce the passing of Stefan Harold Kindolsky at the age of 74. After suffering multiple strokes, One, thankfully leaving him unable to speak, the abusive, narcissistic, absentee father, husband, brother, son, finally kicked the bucket. He's survived by his daughter, Amanda, husband, Brent, grandchildren, Emma, Deus, Xavier, Jacob, and Lucas, and brother, Ed, wife, Bonnie. He's predeceased by his parents, Hilda and Henry Kandalski, his son, Aaron, and mother of his children, Sandra Lee Kandalski. Because he treated people with disdain, there will be no service. Special thank you to the staff at the Penticton Regional Hospital for putting up with this miserable human for so long. The residents and staff at Sunshine Ridge for their support toward his family at this time. And Karma for doing what she does best. In lieu of flowers or donations, just be kind to your fellow human. Spread light and love where you can and do with your life what this man clearly lacked the ability to do.
1: Do you feel any different now than when you wrote it? No. Did it come easily, or was it difficult to actually uh, put pen to paper or fingers to a computer keyboard and and come up with this?
3: This was the first draft, so it, it came very easily.
1: Is there anything, Amanda, which could have prevented you from... Sending the obit out,
3: I don't think that there's anything that could have prevented me from speaking my truth. Um, perhaps if my brother and my mother had been alive and we could have discussed this um, as a family, then I may not have felt the need to put it out there, but I don't have them here to to discuss this with um. And it was important for me to get this off my chest. And it was important to me to reach out to maybe find other people that have gone through similar situations.
1: Did you think that you were among a minority then who did this or actually a larger, perhaps silent majority, who felt it was inappropriate to openly, publicly remember family this way?
3: I feel right now that I am part of a silent majority but when I put this out into the world I felt like a minority I growing up um didn't get to talk about my life that much other aside from with my mom and my brother we we knew our family dynamics um but the rest of my family my extended family didn't they knew what was happening, but it was kind of taboo to talk about at the time. We didn't talk about stuff like that. And I feel it's important to talk about it because how else are you going to process it?
1: How much and what kind of reaction have you received?
3: I have received quite a lot of reactions for the most part. They've been, um, I, I don't want to say positive, but they're positive. It's bittersweet a lot of people have grown up in similar situations and they haven't been able to speak their truth. And this has opened doors for them, which I'm glad. But at the same time, it it hurts to see so many people um, were kind of forbidden to talk about their own life experiences. And, you know, I've received many emails and messages, uh, people that, you know, initially I thought, oh, maybe these people knew my father, but no, they were just messaging me to thank me for opening that, that pathway for them and allowing them to finally be free and to speak and to tell their truth.
1: Has your life now provided you with a more fulfilling way to live as an individual mother, or, or, wife, maybe even uh, life growing up has helped shape you to become who you are. You seem to be so grounded and know exactly uh, how you feel about this and how you think we should all feel in those closing remarks you gave in the eulogy.
3: I definitely think the way that I grew up shaped the person that I am today. And a lot of it has to do with the way that my mother treated us. She loved us unconditionally. And um, she always was very open and honest about the person that she was. And I think that allowed my brother and I to do the same. And not only that, but because my father wasn't around and, my mother had gone through a lot of hardships because of him. We worked harder. We worked as a team. It wasn't the families you see today where, you know, the kids are kind of off doing their own thing and, you know, they don't help out around the house. Like we were, we were a team. We were a three, you know, amigos like we picked up where the other one left off and if someone needed help you were there and i am that person today because of that
1: amanda dennis thank you for your time for sharing this thanks amanda thank you so much amanda dennis author of a good riddance obit if you will for her dad And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Komsik for Libby Nimer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review
0: is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer.